Uh, I want to welcome each of you to our gathering today. If I don't know you, uh, my name is Kyle. I'm one of the pastors here at Center Church. And man, we are glad uh, to be gathering together. Uh, man, first, I want to I take a moment just to do a couple of things. First, I want to thank Brett and the team for leading us this morning. Uh, and then second, I want to, man, welcome and thank Adult and Teen Challenge for being here with us today. Man, we love you guys and we're glad uh, that you're gathering with us. Uh, but with that, man, let's go ahead. What we want to do is we want to kind of uh, transition from our time uh, in worship through song uh, to, man, our time in worship through God's Word. And so if you can open your Bibles, if you have them, uh, to Nehemiah chapter 9. We have been working through uh, this series in Nehemiah called Revive and Rebuild, where we're looking uh, at how uh, God, uh, man, He not only uh, revives uh, and rebuilds as we see, man, the, the physical nature of the walls being rebuilt in Jerusalem. But we've said from week one that this is not a story about the walls. This is a story. This is a story about God's people, uh, being revived and rebuilt. Because again, uh, man, God, uh, cares more about his people than he does any walls. And actually, he's a greater protector and he is far more secure than any wall could ever be. Uh, and so, man, that's what we've been looking at each and every week. Uh, and so we'll be in Nehemiah this week. Uh, and then, uh, really, we only have two weeks left right before Easter. Uh, and so, um, yeah, I'm, man, as I uh, read through Nehemiah 9, I've probably said this a thousand times uh, as we've walked through God's Word together, but it just always seems like, man, as I'm preparing, I'm like, oh, this is my, this is my favorite chapter in this book, Right. And then the next week I'll be like, nope, nope, I think this is my favorite chapter now. But man, Nehemiah 9 was just so, uh, man, it was so good for my own soul today. And so I'm excited uh, to really jump in and continue this story of revival and rebuilding. We, we, we saw a transition last week where uh, the first half of Nehemiah is about the wall being rebuilt. But the second half is, man, it's focusing in on the rebuilding of the people. And so um, today what we're going to do in looking at that is we're going to look at what this, um, man, what this story has to teach us and what this story means uh, for those that we're going to read about. But again, for us today, what it means for us to cultivate hearts of confession towards God in light of our sin and in light of our brokenness. And so the way I want to do that is uh, I want to just take a quick poll to see kind of where we're at today. Uh, last time I did this, we got real deep real fast. Uh, but it's not going to be a response poll other than I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand uh, for this question. The question is this. Uh, man, how many of you in the room get things wrong or mess things up from time to time? Right. All right. That's pretty good. Um, we're going to take that question a little further here in just a minute. Uh, but, man, I, I think that, that that's a great question that, that we should lay before ourselves, right? So this week, uh, in the mornings before school, I sit down with my kids and we're going through uh, this book that's trying to, it's uh, a scripture memorization book. And so we were talking about Ephesians 2 this week and looking at it. And it was talking about how we don't get in by our merit, but only by the grace of God. Uh, that came by way of Jesus, right? And so uh, I lay that out before our children. And then one of the questions the devotional asked was similar to this. It got a little more specific and it said, have you ever told a lie? And immediately my two oldest went, yep. But my youngest looked at me and, and in the same way, like the raising of hand, he was like, no. 
I never told a lie, Dad. And I said, well, you just did. And so there's, we're starting, you have already, but hey, let's go ahead and we're going to deal with this right now. And, 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 but man, it was interesting, you know, my, my two oldest were just like, yeah. Yeah, that's me. Like they, they, that, that same question, man, do I ever mess things up? Do I ever miss it? And they're like, yeah, I do. Maybe to be more specific, how many of us in the room today find ourselves missing the mark and sinning in some form or fashion each and every day? Let's get some participation. I mean, I think the answer to that, the obvious answer to all of us, right? Like we all miss the mark. We all, man, a struggle with sin. So the obvious answer is all of us. But as you think about that, I want to press us with one more question that I believe that we really have to wrestle with and we're really going to sit in as we begin and work through our time today. And the question is this, in light of our daily struggle with sin, how often do you take time to confess your sin? How often do you take time to, you know, whether it's in the moment throughout the day or, uh, you know, just time to stop and say, God, then this is what's going on in my life. This is where I missed it today. God, I need to confess this before you. The reason I ask that is because, man, today's text is really, it's going to present us with a form or a model of what it looks like to live lives of confession before God. But also, the other thing that this text today is going to do is it's going to reveal over and over again God's gracious commitment and steadfast love towards His people. And so let's go ahead and jump right into the text for today. The way this is going to work is, man, Nehemiah 9 is a, a... it's the, uh, uh, just this long recorded just prayer talking about what God has done, them confessing their sin. Uh, but, so what we're going to do is we're going to read some and then I'm going to story through some of the text as well. But we're going to start with Nehemiah verses 1 through 8. If you have it in your Bible, also it'll be up on the screen. It says this. Now on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth and with earth on their heads. And the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day. For another quarter of it, they made confession and worshiped the Lord their God. On the, stairs of the Le- uh, on, the, on the stairs of the Levites stood Jeshua, Bani, Kadmiel, Shebaniah, Buni, Sherebiah, Bani, and Chanani. And they cried with a loud voice to the Lord their God. Then the Levites, Jeshua, Kadmiel, Bani, Hashabaniah, Sherebiah, Hodiah, Shebaniah, and Pethathiah said, Stand up and bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. You are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve them all. And the host of heaven worships you. You were the Lord, the God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you and made with him the covenant to give to his offspring the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Jebusite, and the Girgashite. 
And you have kept your promise, for you are righteous. Okay, so if you remember from our time last week, the wall is finished. And what we see is that the people, they, they don't respond with, hey, let's kick back. They, they respond by saying, man, we're hungry for the word of God. They have a care for the word of God. And so they tell Ezra, who's been waiting for them to respond in this way, read us the words of the law. So Ezra reads to them the words of the law. And while he's reading them the words of the law, it says that there's people around them who are uh, proclaiming and teaching and helping them to understand what God's word says. You see, what happens is that as God's people hear the law, you see the law, which is good. And actually in the text, we're going to see that the law is good today. But guess what? The law does what the law does. You see, the law, what it does is it reveals the holiness of God, first and foremost. It reveals the standard. And the standard of holiness, which uh, is, man, because of our fallenness, is only, uh, man, only God is holy, right? He is the only one, the way we kind of quickly define it, holiness is that God always does what is good, right, and perfect all the time. And so it lays out the standard, also, but while also the law simultaneously exposes our brokenness and sin, does it not? So it says, hey, here's the standard. And then as it's read, what we realize really quickly is that we don't meet that standard, right? Just like with my kids the other morning. Hey, do you ever lie? Yep. Like here's the standard is to not tell a lie and to to be a truth teller, which is something we tell our kids all the time, right? Like no matter if there's going to be consequences, tell the truth. And they realize quickly, no, I don't meet that standard. And so what happens is the people we saw last week is the people begin to mourn and they begin to weep. They begin to, and they are convicted of their sin. And the leaders say, hey, for a moment, we want you to stop with the mourning and we want you to celebrate what God has done. But also, man, this time of year is this certain feast, the Feast of Tabernacles. And you need to celebrate that in remembrance of what God did in the wilderness. And so what happens is God's people feast, but all the while, The reality is that confession and the repentance of sin would still need to come. You see, and this is as true for us as it is for those we read about today. Sin must always be dealt with. Always. And while this is a good thing, and I hope that we, that we see that, that, that confession is a good thing today. Man, I believe that while we have an understanding of our need to confess sin, that, that we use things like, man, confess or repent as some type of buzzwords in, life of, in the life of the church. And I think if we're honest, like, we don't really like to confess, do we? Like, we don't really like to own up to what's going on. We, just like, uh, man, Adam and Eve in the garden, we want to run and hide and cover up. Man, my hope, and my hope for our time today is that, man, we would see in the response of how God's people respond is that we would see that, man, confession is a grace for our lives. 
See, if we're honest, what we want to do is we want to sit in the feasting and forget about the need for confession, right? Like the people are told to stop and wait and celebrate. Man, they probably would have just rather just kept celebrating all the time, right? The food was good. The drink was good. They're providing for one another. They're remembering what God has done. Let's just stay there. No need to deal with this stuff over here. Let me say that. No no need to deal with the stuff that's in here. And I think when we think about our culture, and I'm talking not simply about the, uh, man, the culture outside of the church. I even believe that, man, the inside of the church, man, there is this culture that that is even growing of non-confession. And the reason I believe that I see, you know, as I look around, man, uh, confession is to admit wrongdoing. And, man, the reason we don't like it is because to admit wrongdoing reveals weakness. Right. And so we I, I don't want to do that. I don't want to confess because it, it reveals the weakness inside of me. It, it reveals uh, it, either before God, things are uncovered, which guess what? Like God, that's not unco- like it's there before God, like he sees it and he knows our sin. Why are we trying to cover it up? But also. The reason we don't confess, and I believe that Scripture tells us to confess to one another, is because we don't want others to know our weakness. We don't want others to know our brokenness. Which is why, and again, we, we talk about this a lot, is like why we wear church face, right? It's why before you, took, before you took three steps in here, before you took one step in here, like your face changed a little bit, right? You were like, got to put it together. I hope not. And I hope that we can be a people that walk in here. And just as Jeremy said, as we kicked off our time, that you can just say, no matter what's been going on, no matter if you were trying to get kids ready or get clothes out of boxes, that you're just able to say, God, I'm here. God, you're enough. And guess what? God, I don't have it together. And you can be okay with that. I love J.D. Greer says this. He says, if dependence is the goal, then weakness is the advantage. If dependence is the goal, then weakness is our advantage. But do we see it that way? Or are we just trying to be strong all the time? You see, I think there's a couple of ways that we commonly deal with confession. First, and I've explained shared it a little bit, we we have this attitude of let's just feast and forget about it. Like we act like there's nothing there, right? Like that we either do no wrong or, and man, this really poor theology in the life of the church is, oh, it's just grace on grace, right? Like, which is true, like the scripture says, but we use it in a way that, that, that actually Paul argues against in Romans when he says, man, should we sin all the more so that grace could abound even more? He says, by no means. Like, that's not what we're after. Like, we shouldn't just be like, well, I can do whatever I want because there's more grace. And that's, that, that, that's having a little picture of the cross. That's having a little picture of what Jesus suffered. The other way we do this, though, is one, we we feast and forget about it, uh, or we'll just go the other side. We'll just go way overboard. We'll go almost to like this penance model. 
right? Where we'll, we'll enter in and, and the enemy loves to do this. He, he, it's not just confess your sin and man, receive God's grace. It's, oh, you need to walk in shame and guilt for about, I don't know, three or four days. Maybe longer. But you just need to really feel it. Instead of just saying, God, here's where I missed it. Thank you for your faithfulness. God, let me walk in freedom, but also, man, let me, let me share this with others so that I might walk in deeper and greater freedom by the power of your Spirit. We seek to blame. We seek to cancel. We seek to cover. You tear down yourself. And guess what? In doing those things, man, you miss out on what grace actually is. Usually we'll say, okay, I'm going to confess and this is all the stuff I'm going to do, God. But that's not the gospel. No, the gospel is actually, I'm going to confess, I'm going to receive great. And, 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 and then, guess what, God? Because of that, in light of that, I'm then empowered to walk in obedience. You see, what we find here in Nehemiah 9 is a third way. The, the grand narrative of redemption that we find throughout the Scripture presents us not simply with an avenue for confession, it actually encourages it. As we learn to not look to our sin, but to the One who took our sin upon Himself. We don't cover it. We expose it. So that forgiveness, healing, restoration, and freedom might come. And so we should be a people who confess. First and foremost to God, but man, I want us to be a culture at Center Church of learning to confess our sins to one another. So, as it says in James, what? You might be healed. It, 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 you might be healed. It's, it's saying, God, I want to bring this to light and I don't care who knows about it because guess what? My identity is secure in you. I mean, if you say I'm adopted, if you say I'm redeemed, if you say I'm clothed in righteousness, who cares what other people think? I want to get it out in the light because I want to walk in freedom. See, the focus of this text, and I believe the focus of all Scripture, is that we should be honest about sin. But we should also have a continued commitment to remind the people of God of the kindness, mercy, faithfulness, and steadfast love that God continues in as He upholds the covenant for His people. I love Romans chapter 2, verse 4. It says that it's God's kindness, which uh, later in that text it says it, it uses a, a similar word. It, it's talking about God's grace leads us to what? It leads us to repentance. And as we understand the gospel, and what Jesus has done, and what He's inviting us into by His grace. Man, we, I want to run to that. And so the people understand that while they've celebrated the feast, it's time to deal with their sin through confession. And so let's look briefly at how they do it. I'm just going to run kind of through the, the posture that they carry and the response they have. First, it says that they assemble together as a community. With fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. You see, God's people have a posture in their fasting. They have a posture of dependence saying, God, I need you more than I need food. God, I need, uh, to, uh, I need your grace more than I need to eat something. 
And then we see it in sackcloth and ashes, which is a posture of brokenness. And they are, man, they're humiliated by their sin. They are humbled by their sin. And in our lives, like, I, and I'm not telling you to like leave today and like go find some sackcloth and just rub ashes all over your forehead. But man, in your life, like, do you respond to your sin in that way? I was just saying, God, like, I'm. Are you broken by it? Or are you just saying, ah, whatever? I'll do better tomorrow. So they assemble together and they respond. But then also, it's not just that they assemble together. Man, they separate themselves from all who are not, uh, man, God's people. Like they, 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 they move themselves and say, no, we're going to stand over here. And I believe that, man, that's for a couple of reasons. One, uh, man, they, they don't, they, they want to separate themselves from the false worship and, 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 and uh, idol worship of other people. But also, they are called to be God's display people. And so what they are doing in this moment is, man, in their confession, they are displaying confession over performance. They are displaying to the world around them, this is what it looks like to walk in repentance and faith in what God has done. In the one true God. You see, they are a holy people with a holy calling. And we too, and how we respond. Because guess what? The world today, like they're not confessing anything. They're blaming everything on each other. Is that, are we going to have the same posture or can we as the church separate ourselves and say, no, like we are broken, we are in need of grace, we miss it. Which leads to what they do, they confess their sin, they are honest, open, and guess what, they are amongst one another. But what we see is that they begin not just to Confess their sin. It says they also confess the iniquity of their fathers. Now what they're doing in that moment. And the rest of our text is going to go over. It's going to retell kind of God's people's story. They're not saying hey we've sinned. But guess what look. Those people back then they sinned way worse than us. No what they're doing is they're relating. And they're saying no we like those that came before us are broken. Just as they did. Just as they sinned. We sinned. They're not seeking to blame. They're not seeking to make light of their own sin. They place themselves in the company of sinners who are in need of grace. And so what happens is they hear the word for part of the day. And then it says that they confess and worship for part of the day. I don't know about you, but man, our time in the word. When you read God's word, there should be moments uh, uh, as we read it, right? Like, and we like, I don't know if you like you open the word and you're like, man, I, I missed it. I'm not enough. And they're convicted by the word. It says they do two things. They confess and they worship. They don't confess and then beat themselves up and say, okay, or I'm going to do it this way, all these ways that it's going to be better and God, I'm never going to have to confess. No, they confess and then they remember and they receive God's grace and it says they worship God. The confession, because it's a grace in our life, man, when we confess, we are, we are drawn into an act of worship because we are drawn to the one 
who can heal us from our brokenness and sin. And I don't know about you, but he's the only one worthy of worship. If he's the only one that can do that, he's the only one that deserves our worship. You see, in our lives, and in, in, in uh, church culture, and in, in, uh, in Christian culture, we, we really love just like those encouraging things. We really love coffee cup verses, but we dismiss and discount the heart and exposing truths of the Scriptures because they reveal things that we don't like, right? And I want to encourage us to allow the whole counsel of the Word to have its time in our hearts and lives. Which is why, like, since we planted, we've said, hey, we're not going to shy away from hard things in the Scriptures. We're just going to go through it. This is what God's Word says. This is also why we don't preach feel-good like gospel sermons. Like, we want to know, the man, the fullness, not simply of where we miss it, but we want to know, man, in a greater way that God is greater. That He is good. That He is enough. We don't need to shy away from it. Because I believe, I believe the words of Thomas Watson hold true. He says, until sin be bitter, grace will not be sweet. Until confession is seen as a grace and not shame, we will struggle to see deep transformation. And we will live lives of surface level Christianity when God has called us to something so much deeper. And so the people confess, and as they do, the leaders of the people come before them, and they call God's people, they say, stand and bless God who is eternal. They say, He is everlasting to everlasting. The way they do this in an action is, as they worship, they continue to proclaim their confession. They continue to proclaim their need and God's covenant faithfulness in the rest of the chapter. And what they do is they retell what is one of the fullest summaries of the Old Testament that we get in the Scriptures. I want to challenge you and encourage you because we're not walking through it all, all the verses today. Man, every day for the next week, just read Romans 9 and just and, and then say, God, how can I model this type of confession and remembrance in my own life? And it begins in verse 6. They say, you are Yahweh. You are God and God alone. You see, they're making a distinction here that connects to the separating they did previously. Because to separate oneself apart from sin is to turn from the worship of idolatry to the worship of He who is God alone. But they're not simply say God alone, that He is the God. They say you are the God who created all things. That points us all the way back to the creation narrative, right? They're connecting the people. The connection the people are making here and will build out through the rest of our time is that while God creates, He's also the one that sustains and preserves specifically his covenant people, even as they fail to uphold the covenant. And then as we hear that today, that should be good news and hope for us today. You see, God is faithful even in the moments we're not, and his faithfulness in light of the cross is greater than our inability. Following this, he moves on in verses 7 and 8 where the picture of God's covenant love begins to take shape. He says, the God you called Abram and you brought him out of his place of comfort and you gave him the name Abraham, which means father of many nations. 
But what's so key is that he chose Abram. But he didn't just choose him. He gave him a new identity in the giving of a name. And that's true for all who are in Christ. You are a new creation and you have a new name. You were once an orphan, but now you are an adopted son or daughter. You were once a slave to sin, but you are now a servant of the king. You were once an enemy of God, but now God says in him you are a friend. What we see then is that he says that God saw his heart as faithful and he counted his faith as righteousness. And while this is great, what makes it even more amazing is that before Abraham even had faith, before God had ever made his covenant with him, God chose him before he'd ever done anything to earn a name. He says, this is who you are. This is who you will be. God's choosing proceeds at all. And that is key in light of our confession because we can know in full assurance that while we sin and run, he will never leave us nor forsake us. Then what happens in verses 9 through 15 is the story continues. They continue to recount what God has done in his faithfulness and mercy towards his people who find themselves enslaved in Egypt. And so we see how he frees the people, but also how he judges the Egyptians. Quickly, these are some of the highlights of that part of the text. It says that God sees the affliction of his people. In verse 9, it says he has seized their Affliction, man, God has seen our affliction. And guess what? Not only did he see it, God bear, bore our affliction. On the cross. And, it, and what it says is as he sees the affliction of his people in Egypt. That he brings them out by signs and wonders. I, I love what it says in the text in Nehemiah. It says because of the arrogance of the Egyptians, which is going to be key for us here in just a minute. Because of the arrogance and the pride of the Egyptian, God performs signs and wonders and He delivers His people. If you actually read through the entirety of this chapter, there's 40 plus statements where it says, you did this, you did this. It's all talking about everything God has done. Man, do we pray like that? Usually we just pray, I need this, I need this, I need this. But He says, no, you did this. You've been so faithful. So he says, you brought them out by signs and wonders. And then he says, you have made a name for yourself as it is to this day. Well, what they're saying is, God, you did such signs and wonders that man, people, like, people understand. They, they know about it even unto this day, right? I don't believe it's just because of that. I believe it's because he's the creator of all things, right? He's everlasting to everlasting. He is the hero of the story. It says, upon their deliverance, God led them in a cloud by day and fire by night in the way that they should go. Then he gave them the law. But he, if you look, he doesn't just give them the law. He, he says that the law was right. It was true. It was good. And it was holy. Because guess what? God is holy. Not only is it that, but it says also that it was for the good of the people. And then it closes by saying he provided for them not just the law, but all the things they needed along the way. They didn't go hungry. They didn't die of thirst. 
So the people of God in the midst of their confession take time to remember and proclaim God's holiness and faithfulness to them. Does our confession look the same? Where we say, God, like, man, my sin is great, but guess what? Your grace is greater, and this is how I know that. Something we talk about in Men's Equip a lot. I, I've heard it come up over and over again. If you're not part of Men's Equip, it's our men's discipleship. And, and uh, it's come up over and over again, just this recounting of all that God has done and how good it is for our souls. Because we're reminded again that He's creator and we're created. It gets out of our little self-focused circle and gets us aligned with who God is and how great He is. And so what this leads to, in verses 16 through 21, what we're going to see is a shift in the story of God's people and the way that they confess their sin. And so let's read now 16 through 21. This is the continual story of all that God has done. Remember, He's done all these amazing things. And let's begin in 16. But they and our fathers acted presumptuously and stiffened their neck and did not obey your commandments. They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them. But they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you were a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and did not forsake them. And when they had made for themselves a golden calf and said, this is your God who brought you up out of Egypt and had committed great blasphemies. Listen, 19, you and your great mercies did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud to lead them in the way did not depart from them by day, nor the pillar of fire by night to light for them the way by which they should go. You gave your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouth and gave them water for their thirst. Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness and they lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out and their feet did not swell. Alright, so as the people work through the narrative of Scripture, we get through this amazing story of God's redemption through the Exodus. And then we're met with the recounting of rebellion and the sin of God's people. You see, even in light of God's gracious rescue, we see that God's people turn away in sin. And and, uh, the, the way he describes it is like this. He says, first, they acted presumptuously. That word for presumption, it points us back to how they described the Egyptians earlier, that they acted arrogantly. They begin to view themselves as they were enough or that they could produce or that they could make a God that would sustain them. The next thing that they did uh, that they describe is they use it twice. They say they stiffened their neck. This descriptor points to the people's worship of the golden calf. A writer named G.K. Beale, he wrote a book called We Become What We Worship. And what he says is, man, that term there is actually saying they became like the calf they worshipped. I don't know if you've ever worked cattle or showed animals, but man, they're stubborn. And they, they will stiffen their neck and they don't want to move. That, that's what he's saying. He said, you became like that which you worship. You thought it could provide for you, but no, you just became like it. You, you stiffened your neck and turned from God and said, God, I'm not going to move. Uh, while you're trying to lead me the way that I should go, I'm not going to do that. You see, when we turn our eyes and we forget, one, our sin, uh, and for man, for like, two, Christ's redemption, guess what? 
we are prone to wonder, to stiffen our necks. We become dependent upon self. But I want you to remember, like as they're saying this, God's people, they're not saying, hey, look at them and look how bad they were. No, they are relating to what's taken place. They understand that they have done the same. And so it continues. But look at what God does. What we saw in the text is even in the midst of that, they say, God, you're a God ready to forgive. Gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And God, you did not forsake them. I don't know about you, but growing up, like I thought the God of the Old Testament was just nothing but wrath. And then like he changed when he got to the New Testament. But that's not what we see here. Like he's still the same, right? He's everlasting to everlasting. Even in these moments, like he's ready to forgive. He's slow to anger, gracious, abounding in steadfast love. And what that does is it gives the people in this text hope and it should do the same for us today. That man, today if you know Jesus and you walk in here and you're like, man, I really missed it this week. Man, I really missed it this morning. And we can come and say, God, man, I want to confess that. But God, thank you that you are abounding in steadfast love. Thank you that you sent your son. Man, today, if you don't know Jesus, today, if you're coming in here and, and you're like, man, I need to confess, but I, I know nothing of God's steadfast love. I have no uh, side of what this hope is. And today, run to Jesus. Cry out, confess your sin, because today he stands waiting and he says, merciful he's slow to anger he's abounding in steadfast love guess what uh, we uh, we are not forsaken why because jesus was forsaken for us that's why we have hope follower of jesus and today again if you don't know that hope and come like talk to me like i, I want to proclaim to you there's hope in him Because even while the people continually sinned, God continued to show them grace and mercy while also leading them, instructing them, and not withholding from them provision. He sustains them through the wilderness. And it is by His grace and His grace alone that we are sustained. You cannot sustain yourself, and yet until we understand our moment-by-moment need For Jesus, we will continue to look for salvation. We will continue to look for transformation and hope and things that are made by our hands. We, like God's people in this text, left our own devices, look to run back to and stiffen our necks. And yet he who began a good work will not allow it, even if we're made to wall in our brokenness. Because he who began a good work will see it through in Christ Jesus. And yet, until sin be bitter... Grace will not be sweet. In 22 through 25, we see the continuation of that story that God brings His people into the promised land, that He goes before them, that He gives them victory over peoples and lands, that He took possession and gave them possession of houses that were already full of good things. The cisterns were already ready. The vineyards were already ripe. The olive orchards were ready to produce. And the fruit trees were in abundance, the text says. And it says that they, they, they are filled and for a time delight in God's goodness. But let's continue in verses 26 through 31. 
Nevertheless, they were disobedient, rebelled against you. They cast your law behind their back, killed your prophets who had warned them in order to turn them back to you and committed great blasphemies. Therefore, you gave them into the hand of their enemies who made them suffer. And in the time of their suffering, they cried out to you and you heard them from heaven. And according to your great mercies, gave them saviors who saved them from the hand of their enemies. But after they had rest, they did evil again before you and you abandoned them to the hand of their enemies so that they had dominion over them. Yet when they turned and cried to you, heard from heaven and many times you delivered them according to your mercies. And you warned them in order to turn them back to your law. Yet they acted presumptuously and did not obey your commandments. But sinned against your rules, which if a person does them, he shall live by them. And they turned a stubborn shoulder and stiffened their neck and would not obey. Many years you bore with them and warned them by your spirit through your prophets. Yet they would not give ear. Therefore you gave them into the hand of the people of the lands. Verse 31. Key verse in the text. Nevertheless, in your great mercies, you did not make an end of them or forsake them. For you are a gracious and merciful God. So in light of all that God's done for his people, what we see once again is that nevertheless, in spite of the people rebel, they cast the law behind their back, they kill God's messengers, and so God allows them to be given over to their sin and hands them to their enemies. What we see is this, this cyclical pattern that's all throughout Scripture. Like It's the same pattern you find in the book of Judges, right? That in distress, God's people cry out. God hears. He, he, he doesn't reject their cries. But in His great mercy, uh, He saves them out of it. He brings victory. They worship. And then guess what? Boom. They have a time of rest and then they go back into it. Rest, sin, anger, oppression, distress, cry out, deliverance. Over and over again. The text says many times he delivered them. And yet many times they stiffened their neck. They became like what they worshipped. And yet, verse 31, Nevertheless, you continue to uphold the covenant you made. For you are gracious and merciful. And do you see how amazing? And also just like, how, like it blows my mind. Think of just that, that God is this good. The chapter ends um, by God's people. They say, hey, this is where we are. This is what's going on. They're recounting these things. And, and they've shared all this stuff. But look at verses 36 through 38. This is what they say. Behold, we are slaves this day in the land that you gave to our fathers to enjoy its fruit, and its goods, gifts. Behold, we are slaves And its rich yield goes to the kings whom you have set over us because of our sins. They rule over our bodies and over our livestock as they please. And then here, and we are in great distress. Again, in the midst of all this, the reason they're recounting these things is because they say, hey God, we're in the same spot as your people once were. And we need rescue. We need help. We need you to save. We're enslaved and we can't get out of it on our own. Man, today, as we look at our own lives and man, as the church, we would do well to respond in like manner. 
that we would confess our brokenness and need while also recounting the gracious blood of Jesus that not only gives us life from our deadness, but brought us through the ultimate exodus and exile. Man, my hope for us today is not simply to see this chapter as a story of the past, but a model for what it might look for us to begin to live lives of both confession and remembrance. May we be quick to humility and not pride, quick to confession and not casting aside or shifting the blame, quick to see our need for grace and God's steadfast love that is made available through His Son. He is faithful even when we are not. Continually, he never fails. He never like he, he like he's there. Like he, he's everlasting, to everlasting. And if we would, by the grace of God, begin to see confession not of an, as an act of exposing shame that must be discounted or hidden, but as a grace that reflects the grace of God for us and displays the grace of God to the world around us, I believe that the impact that would take place in our lives and to the world around us would be something we can't even begin to imagine. You see, the world needs to learn what it looks like to repent and own stuff in, in light of the gospel. But man, are we too busy? Just are we so like tied in with it that we haven't separated ourselves today? Not in a way of just casting judgment or condemning, but just saying, no, there's a different way. The Bible gives us a different way. And we want to model that, not because we think we're better or above, because man, we who were in need of such grace have received it and we want to display that to others. May we model what confession looks like. I'm going to have the team come back up, but there, there's two things that over the last few weeks I've been really wrestling with uh, as I just think about, man, the life of our church that, that I want to see us just, and I think it is, just kind of goes along well with Nehemiah, but that we would have a deeper hunger and understanding of God's Word. And that we would be a people who, man, are a culture that we just confess our sin. First to God, but then to one another. Like that, that we would grow in con- a, a, a culture of confession. Say, man, that's where I missed it. So that we might find freedom and healing. Because, man, uh, I think if we don't, and I don't know that we, I think in moments we do, but and if you don't, like, just think about your life. Like, those sins that you don't confess, like, man, you're, you're probably just struggling with the same sins all the time, Right? I know for me, like there's just there's like this few that just keep coming back around, and I keep laying them at the feet of Jesus. But I'm not sure, man. Do, do other people like if I share that, like, hey, you be praying for me for this because this is where I struggle. Let us create that kind of culture here. So what we're going to do is we're going to have a time of response, and then next week we're going to look at God's people response in light of that confession, because I believe that man confession, man. Produces freedom and worship and then leads to a different obedience, right? So Jeremy's going to share that with us. But man, what I want us to do today is I want us to just maybe model that. Maybe I want to give you that time uh, to sit with God and maybe confess, maybe call to remembrance in that as well. God, this is who you are and this is what you've done. This is where I missed it. Man, let's just kind of begin to create that culture now.
And if you don't know what confession is, if you don't know, like you're like, man, I just need to give my life to Jesus today. And come talk to me or you can go to Pastor Jeremy here. And we would love to sit and just talk with you about what that looks like, what that means. Maybe today, maybe we remember that, man, uh, while our sin seems great, God is greater and we can look to the cross and see that and know it's true. And not just the death of the cross, we know that there's victory because there's resurrection. And so I'm going to invite you to that today. Uh, but also I want to invite you as we have, uh, as we do each and every week, we, uh, we respond by the sharing of communion. And then what this time is, this is a time where we man, reflect and remember what Jesus has done, right? That He is the one who was forsaken for us so that we might have life. That He stood in our place. Amen, Beck. And that that's the good news that we remember it. And, and so when we share in this, we remember thinking, man, Jesus, thank you that you uh, allowed your body to be broken, that you allowed your blood to be poured out so that we might have life and redemption in you. And not just life, but life to the fullest, right? Like a full life. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, I want to invite you to come and share in this. You can either uh, grab uh, the cup of juice or you can dip in the cup of juice there as well. Um, and man, take some time to reflect and to remember. Like this is that remembrance of, God, you've done this. This is how great you are. Even when I miss it, this is what you've done. If you're not a follower of Jesus, we would ask that you abstain because, man, we believe that, man, this is such a, a, a moment that is just so precious because it was so costly. We don't take this lightly. And then what we're going to do is, after a bit of that, bread is going to lead us in song. And, man, just as we saw here, like as we hear the word, as we confess, man, a confession produces this worship as we remember the great Savior that we have in Jesus. And so I want to invite you to those things. Again, if you want to talk, if you want to pray, I'll be up here. Pastor Jeremy will be up here as well. You can pray with us. Uh, but let me pray for us and we'll respond. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for your word. God, for through your word, we see your faithfulness and your steadfast love over and over again. Even in the midst of our inability. And so, God, I pray that we would just uh, be a people who, uh, man, understand that, that we can con come to you and confess. And that you're faithful by the blood of your Son to forgive. God, may we be a culture that, that, that models confession. That we be quick to repent. That we be quick to look to you. That we would not stiffen our necks in pride. God, that we would uh, know that you have given us the church so that we might confess to one another. Lord, let us model, man, the third way, the, the, a way that is centered upon the good news of the gospel, of what it means to be a people that can freely share where we are. We ask for grace right now and that you would move in Jesus' name. Amen.